Well, before I start, uh, I just learned that to, to, today is a very special day for two people in this room. I don't know where they are, but where, where are the Webbers at? Where are they? They're, how many years? Is it 23 years that you're celebrating today? That's great. Congratulations. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also, I know that their colleges are starting at all different times, and some of you guys are going to be heading out sooner than others, um, but I just want to say I'm glad that you guys have been here this summer. For those of you that are going to be going away soon, I think it's been great. Um, I know the interns are almost done, so interns, you guys are great. Caden, thank you for stepping in and playing the cajon all summer long. It's been awesome. I don't know where you, these lights are bright. I can't really see anybody, but there he is. Good job, Caden. All right. Um, we tonight are going to take a break from our Attributes of God series. We do have a couple more weeks in that before we move on to something else, but we're going to just take a break, and we're going to open up and uh, look at Psalm chapter 3. So I want you to guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3. Um, last night, I was playing with Noah. Noah is my one-year-old son for those of you that don't know, uh, in, in his room. We were on the floor, just having a good time, playing with blocks and stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, I noticed that he is kind of staring at his reflection in the closet door. So we have this like sliding closet door in his room, and he gets up and he walks over, and he's just staring intently at his reflection. And, and I'm like, this is weird, because he's noticed the reflection before, but all, but just all of a sudden, he's becoming really, like, interested in himself in this reflection in this mirror. And then all of a sudden, he started to look really upset and really concerned. And I was just sitting there watching him going, what is happening right now? What is he doing? And slowly, his facial expressions went from happy, carefree baby to what in the world is going on? What am I looking at? I can't make sense of anything that's happening right now. And then he starts to cry a little bit. And at this point, I'm still watching. Maybe I should have intervened here, but I'm still watching him just going, what is he doing? What, what is he about to do? And he's slowly backing away from himself in the reflection. And then he just starts to, just to cry. I'm just like bawling, crying. And I'm like, okay, at this point, I'm like, dude, what's wrong? What's wrong? Like he can answer me. He's one. He can't answer me. But I'm like, what is, what is going on? What is happening? What? And I pick him up and, you know, and then we sit down and he like backs up and he sits in my lap and he like pushes himself in between me and the chair that we have. And he's like staring at his reflection in the mirror. And I'm like, okay, he's freaked out at his reflection. He's scared of this. So I'm like, I pick him up and I'm like, dude, it's okay. Like, you don't need to be afraid. And we walk over to the reflection. I'm showing him like, this, it's you and me. And I'm like waving at it, making silly faces. And, you know, and, and he starts to be like, oh, I get it. Okay, like nothing to be afraid of here. Uh, and then I put him down. He's, he's fine again. He's playing. He's fine. He's looking at himself in the reflection. And he's like, we're good now. I'm not scared of you anymore. This is, this is fine. It's all good. Noah may just be a one-year-old. Um, but, but once he fell into my arms, and once he heard my, my voice reassuring him that it's fine, there's nothing to be afraid of, it helped him. 
He's a little baby. He's one. He doesn't understand hardly anything. But he could understand here that now there was nothing to be afraid of. And when I was telling him this, he actually got over the fear. He actually started looking at himself going, oh, I see, this is, oh, everything's fine now. And he wasn't afraid anymore. My presence and my words to him were enough to give him comfort, to stop him from fearing, and he overcame the fear. He wasn't afraid anymore. And this all happened in a matter of like 45 seconds. It was crazy. I think that Christians can learn something about how to handle their fear from what Noah did last night. Over and over and over again, God's word tells us, do not fear. Do not be afraid. In fact, God tells us the only thing, the only one that we should fear is him. And we should be afraid of nothing else, of no one else. And God gives us his presence. He says, I am with you, so do not fear. He gives us his word in in the Bible, his comforting word that says, I am here, I am with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. In God's presence, in his words, they should be enough to make a tangible difference in our lives when it comes to what we're afraid of, when it comes to our fears, our anxieties. Just like Noah understood that he didn't need to fear anymore, Christians should understand that when God says to not fear, when he says that he is our protector, when he says that he is our comfort, it should make a real difference in our lives. It should tangibly and practically make a difference in our lives, but so often we can keep living in fear. We can keep living with anxieties. We can keep living this way that God says not to live. So you're open at Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3 is called a psalm of lament. It's a song, it's, it's a prayer given to God in a time of pain. This is King David, and he was in a, a time of pain. Psalms of lament, they're, they're presented when the author's life is troubled. When, when his relationship with God is troubled. When, when they feel distant from God. When they're, when they're afraid, when they're hurt, when they feel abandoned. That's when authors will write a psalm of lament. And typically a psalm of lament will include a complaint that the enemy is too strong, that, that the fear is too big, that God is too far away, and that the psalmist is too weak. And in every single psalm of lament except for one, usually it will end with the psalmist turning back to God, expressing trust, expressing uh, thanksgiving in God because he's there. And so David, he wrote this psalm as he was fleeing from his son, Absalom. He's running away. And that narrative is found in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18, if we can write that down and read that later. But to summarize what's going on, Absalom is angry with his father. He's angry at the king because of the way that the king handled the violation of his sister Tamar. So Absalom, he decides to take things into his own hands. He's going to take matters into his own hands and do something about this. And and he killed Amnon. Amnon was the one who violated Tamar. And there's two years that go by of Absalom staying away from his father. He's, He's gone. He's staying away. And then he begins to conspire against him. 
He starts to, to get in people's ears saying, don't you wish that I was king? Don't you wish that, that I would do something different than my dad? Aren't you upset with how King David is running things? The Bible says that Absalom won the hearts of the people. And, and he convinced them to declare him king. They declared him king. They stole the throne from David. David and all of his servants, they ran away because they knew now that Absalom was intending on harming them. So they had to get out. They had to run. And that's what's happening. That's, that's the backdrop, the background of what's going on when David writes this psalm. He's fleeing from his son who is intending on killing him. And this is what he writes. Psalm chapter 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing beyond your people. If you're a Christian, you need to be confident in and comforted by the presence of God when you are afraid. So here's point number one. You can write it this way. Find relief in God when troubles rise. You need to find relief in God when troubles rise. David says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So Absalom and his newly recruited army they're hunting down David. Verse 6 says that there are thousands of people coming after him. Absalom's numbers are rising while David's numbers are falling. He's slowly watching the kingdom be ripped away from his hands. And it's not just that people are after David. They are saying that David will not find salvation in his God. They're coming after him and they're taunting him. They're saying, you will not find salvation in your God. It's not there. We're coming, and we're going to get you. It's over. In 2 Samuel 16, 8, someone named Shimei curses David. Essentially, Shimei says, this is happening to you because of the evil that you caused, that you brought on the house of Saul. And he says, God will not save you. God is actually punishing you. He's being taunted about his God. Your God will not save you from this, David. You have faith for nothing because your God will not help you here. And these taunts are painful. They're personal to David because they're taunting him about his God. The God that, that he is writing about in all these psalms that he's worshiping, the God that is his rock, that is his salvation. They're taunting him about these things. God is David's deepest hope. His hope was in God, and now fears are starting to rise. Fears like, are they right? Will God help me? Is he still there? 
And as trouble is rising against David, he immediately turns to God in prayer. And that's what this psalm is. You understand? It's the prayer that he wrote as a result of this trouble, as a result of the fears that he was facing. And in immediately turning to God in prayer and writing this psalm, he's showing how dependent upon God he is. It should be a mark of every Christian. Everyone who professes to be a Christian should turn quickly to God in times of distress. When you're afraid, when you're anxious, God should be the first one you turn to. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on God because, why? Because He cares for you. Your Heavenly Father, He wants you to turn to Him when you're afraid, when you're anxious, when troubles are rising, when you are fearful. God says, cast it on me. Come to me. Find your relief in me. If you're anything like me, you are not always in the mood to be someone else's therapist. You guys been there before? Sometimes people are going to say, like, hey, I, re I really need to talk to you. Like, can, can we talk? And honestly, sometimes my first thought is this. I really don't want to right now. I'm sorry if that's terrible, but that's the truth, okay? God never feels that way. God never feels that way towards his children. If you've been there, if you've been on the receiving end of, hey, can we talk? I've got something going on. And you've been like, oh, right, I really like right now. Okay, like, God never does that to you. When you're afraid, when you're anxious, no matter how many times it's the same thing, when you go to God, when you say, God, I'm anxious, God, I'm afraid, he's never like, oh, really? Not right now. I've got better, I can't do this right now. You never have to worry about God doing that, ever. It's never a burden to God. And King David, he understood this. And he was quick to turn to God when he was troubled. Look, there have been so many times in my life where, where troubles come, where I start to get afraid, where I'm fearful, where, where I'm anxious, and I recognize that I need help, but what's the first thing I do? I call my dad. I call up some friends. I talk to my wife. And then once I've exhausted all these options and I'm still feeling afraid, at that point, that's when I'm finally like, oh, Jacob, you should pray. That's what you should do. You, you should run to God. You should cast your anxieties onto God. Why is it that it's not the first thing that I do? Why is it not the first thing that we do? My response, it should be throwing myself before the Lord in utter dependence on Him, seeking wisdom for the situation, seeking comfort in Him. But we know my fear is, is that we know the Bible verses, we, we know what, what, what the Bible says, yet for some reason it's, it's not really making a difference in our lives. We know that God is our rock. We know that he's our redeemer. We know that he's never shaken. We know he wants us to do this. Well, why is it that we don't? Why is it sometimes that you're going to call people and you're going to exhaust all these other options before you go to God? You should turn to God first. Complete and utter dependence on him is what we should be that that should be our stature towards God. In verse 3, this is where David's lament starts to turn around. Right? He, he starts to respond to, to the uprising of his enemies by declaring his confidence in God. 
He's just declaring how confident he is in the Lord. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. And David seems to be recalling what is what's said in Genesis 15.1, where, where God says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. This is God's word to Abram. He says, Fear not, I am your shield. And look, we're not thinking like a simple arm shield here, right? The, the shield that it's referring to is something that's known as a buckler, all right? And, and a buckler provides protection, not just like a normal like Captain America arm shield, right? But it's like all around you. It's this tall thing. It wraps around your whole body. So God's saying, I'm your buckler. I'm providing protection for you, front, back, sides, top, everywhere. I am protecting you. As a child of God, this is what he does for you. He is your shield about you, which, which means covering you. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So if God promises that he is your shield, if he says, when you come to me and when you take refuge in me, I will protect you, that's what God says to his children, then, then why would you fear? Why would, why would I be afraid? When this is God Almighty and he's promising to be your shield. So do not fear. And David understood this. David not, this is not just head knowledge in King David. He understood the reality that God is his shield, that God is his protection. And it made a difference in his life. It actively made a difference. He was able to say with confidence, like, hey, yes, Absalom is after me. My son hates me. He's trying to kill me. There are thousands who pursue me, but God, I will not fear because you are my shield. That's powerful. It's so powerful to think about because this should be you and me as Christians. We should be able to look at whatever we're afraid of, whatever anxieties we're facing, whatever concerns we have, and say, guess what? I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to live in fear because my confidence is in God. David, he sets a great example of how we should use the truth of Scripture to fight against our feelings. I think I've said this recently in here. There, there will be times where you feel alone. Where you're going to feel like no one cares. We're going to feel like no one loves you. You're going to feel condemned or useless or hopeless or afraid, but God's Word exposes those feelings as fraud. There are going to be many times in your life where you have to be determined to say, you know what, yeah, I feel afraid. I feel alone. I feel hopeless. I feel like God is not with me. But I'm just going to be determined right now in this moment to trust God's word over what my feelings are telling me. I'm going to have to read his word. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to believe it. 
even though that doesn't feel like what's real, I'm still going to submit myself to what his word says. I'm not going to believe what these feelings are telling me because they're not true. They're, they're, they're lies. David, he, he refers to God. He says, my glory. What does it mean for David to say that God is his glory? Whether you realize it or not, maybe you've never put it this way before, but everyone has something in life that they consider to be their glory. Your glory is what you think makes you significant. It could be your fame, your family, girlfriend, boyfriend, your job, your wealth, your car, your clothes, whatever. Fill in the blank. Whatever in your life that makes you feel significant, that, that's your glory. And David is, is indicating in this psalm that he found his significance in his relationship with God. Not in his strength, not in his position of power as king, not in his fame, not in his wealth, not in his intelligence or his skill. He probably had more in life that he could have considered his glory than any other person on earth at the time. But that's not what he did. He said, the Lord, you are my glory. And that's how he could maintain his trust in God. When, when everything was stripped away from him, when his throne, when his kingdom, when his people, when his wealth, when everything was taken away, his trust remained in God. David's highest treasure was not any worldly possession. It wasn't his his, his prominence, his power, his highest treasure was God and his relationship with God. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says something similar to this. He, he also treasured Christ above all things. Here's what he says in Philippians 3. He's making a list of all the things that he could find significance in, that he, that he could find his confidence in, but here's what he says about it. He says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The passage of Scripture, it convicts me so deeply. Because I know that if I'm being honest with myself, I can't, I can't always say that. No, I would never actually say with my mouth to you, like, I would never admit, like, there are things that I treasure more than Christ, right? Like, we would never go around saying, like, oh yeah, sure, there's things that I treasure more than Christ. But the reality is, there are moments where that's not true. You know, we evaluate how you spend your days and your time and the things that you prioritize and that may suggest otherwise where your treasure lies. So we should all be praying something like this. All Christians should be praying something, something like this. Lord, help me to consider you as my glory. Help me to treasure you above all else. 
And if we're, if we're praying that, Christians, if we're praying that prayer, I believe God's going to answer that prayer. So King David modeled and, and the Apostle Paul modeled. And then King David, he says, God is the lifter of my head. He says, God is the lifter of his head. When you suffer, when you face adversity, when something bad is happening, the, the natural physical stance to take is, is this, right? Like, oh, like, when you're discouraged, what do you do? Your head goes down, right? Like, oh, like, oh this is terrible. Like, when you suffer, it's painful, right? That's, that's what happens. You just go, oh, right? Your head goes down. <laughs> when I lived in Georgia, I was a middle school football coach, fifth and sixth grade boys football team. We were terrible, by the way, if you were wondering. Um, uh, every season, the same thing would happen. Every single season, this would happen. My, my kids would be on defense, and they would get scored on every game. And immediately, the first thing that I, like, the play's not even over yet. The dude breaks away for an 80-yard rushing touchdown, and my kids, what are they doing? They're on the other side of the football field doing this. Walking to the other end zone. Because they're, they're mad that the dude just scored on them. And so I, I'm on the sideline, like, losing my mind. Like, 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 go! Like, pick up your head! You have to keep going! Like, what are you doing? What's going on? Like, the, the game, it's like the game wasn't even over. It's like the first quarter, and it's zero to zero, and they score a touchdown. And my kids are like, oh, it's over! We're going to lose! It's, it's so frustrating, right? But that's what they would do. They, they would, their heads would go down right? And the team would kick the extra point or do whatever, and they'd all walk back to me on the sideline, and their heads would be down like this, like, we're, we're going to lose. And like, I would just, every game, I would say, pick up your head. Like, like, look at me. Pick up your head. Look at me with your eyes. And at sometimes, I would literally have to go to their helmets, and I would have to say, look at me. Like, like lift up your head. It is okay. It is okay. It is not the end of the world. You need to pick your head up. God is the lifter of your head. Or it's this idea of when you are downcast, when you're upset, when you're suffering, when you're afraid and your countenance falls, God is the lifter of your head. He's saying, just, just look at me. Look, I am your shield. I am your protector. I love you. Look at me. Lift up your head. So to lift one's head, it means that their head, it was once, once bowed in sorrow. And then when you lift it up, it's lifted up in joy. Right? And when we're, we're downcast about something, and God, as the lifter of our head, he's, he's saying, just look up to me. During this time, when you're afraid, when you're anxious, look to me. And as we look to God, no matter what situation we're in, we can be filled with joy because it's him, because he's our God. 2 Samuel 15, 30, it gives us a picture of how downcast David was. This is what it says. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. So you see, this picture of David is so downcast. He is so discouraged and so down that he is looking down, his head covered, 
weeping and barefoot. And David, the same guy, this is the same guy, he's saying, God is the one who lifts my head. God is the lifter of my head when I am down like that. When he suffers, God is the one who comforts him. He doesn't say, my position as king causes me to lift my head. All the money I have makes me happy, and now I lift my head up. He doesn't say, my army comes to rescue me, and now I'm happy again, so then I lift my head. He says, God is the lifter of my head. God alone is the source of David's peace. He alone is the source of David's hope. And this is God's heart for his children. God wants you to find your relief in him when troubles come. He's your shield about you. He's the shield protecting you. He's the lifter of your head. When you're downcast, it's as if God is grabbing a hold of your head and he's lifting you up and he's saying, just look at me. Just focus on me. Don't focus on what's going on around you. Focus on me. God is saying, I am your peace. I am your hope. So look at me and be comforted. This is God's character. That's his heart towards his children. And David, he's reflecting on the danger he was in and then reflecting on the fact that God is his, his shield. He's his protector. And then God will give him strength and, and give him courage. And then it moves David to action. Like it actually makes a difference. So here's point two. Be comforted by God's sustaining hand. So David, he, he, he's going before God. He, he's, he's finding his relief in him. And then he actually is comforted. Like it's making a difference. He finds his comfort in God's sustaining hand. So David, he continues in the psalm and he says, I cried aloud to the Lord. And it's natural for David to do this. It's, it is, it's natural for him to do this because he's already said, God, you're my shield, you're my glory, you're the lifter of my head. So what's, what comes? He cries aloud to God. When you can confidently say, God, you are my shield, you are my glory, you lift my head, God will be the first one, the first, the first one you go to. And I want you to notice that it says he cried aloud. He cried aloud. Here's a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Surely silent prayers are heard, yes, but good men often find that even in secret they pray better aloud than they do when they utter no vocal sound. I don't know about you, but I have found that to be true. So David is throwing himself before the Lord, crying out aloud to him. He doesn't care that anybody can hear him. He doesn't care what's going on. That's how dependent he is, how focused he is. He is just, just honed in on God and finding his comfort in God, and going before him, and praying aloud, and crying aloud to God. And so just like David, we need to be people of prayer. We've got to be people of prayer. I'm talking about more than praying for the food, or praying for the promotion, or praying for money, or praying for things that will just make your life easier. 
prayer, if I heard this before, I don't know if there's actually like statistics to back this up, but prayer is said to be the most underused spiritual discipline in the lives of believers, the lives of Christians. I want you to think about that for a second. If that's true, that means that we have God, and because of Christ, we can now boldly approach God's throne in prayer, and he will listen to us, and he will provide his peace and his comfort and so many other things, but that's an underused spiritual discipline. It's, it's one that we can just go through our days and be like, oh yeah, I didn't pray today. And that's a shame. That's such a shame when you think about it. So look, if you're at a point in your life where, where you know you're just not praying, Here's what you should do. You should intentionally set time aside every day to pray. Right? It's easy to hear something like this and to be like, oh man, I really need to pray more. Like tomorrow I'm going to pray more. Well, tomorrow comes and it's the same story over and over, right? You've got you to be intentional. You've got to start saying, All right, when am I going to pray? What time am I going to pray? What's the best time of day to actually spend time in prayer? You've got to be dependent on God. We've got to be going to him in prayer. David, he, he says, and he answered me from his holy hill. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. He cried aloud to the Lord and the Lord answered him from his holy hill. So while others were saying to David, remember, others were saying, God won't hear you. He's not going to save you. There's nothing that he's going to do to help you. So you might as well give up. David confidently says, I know that when I cried aloud to the Lord, he heard me from his holy hill. No matter what you say, no matter how bad my circumstances get, no matter how dark things around me are, David says, when I cry aloud to the Lord, he hears me. Every time. I'm confident of that. And know that just because God doesn't answer the prayer the way that you want, it doesn't mean that he's not listening, right? It's part of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the posture our hearts should have in prayer before God. Before you ask anything of him, it should be, God, your will be done. Help me to be content with your will for my life. Do you think David ever actually prayed, God, I want my son Absalom to kill me? I want thousands of people to chase after me? No, I'm sure he didn't pray for that but he was still confident that God was listening. He didn't have any doubts that God wasn't there just because life was bad. And we shouldn't either. Have confidence that God is listening to your prayers. And when David says, he hears me from his holy hill, it's a description of, of the city of Jerusalem, right, which is where David was, was ruling from. And that's where David just fled. He had to run away from this place. And so Absalom had taken over the city. And by all accounts, it looks like Absalom is in charge now. It looks like, okay, he's running things, he's in charge, and this is, this is not good. But David says, he answered me from his holy hill. Although Absalom had taken over, and David had lost his kingdom, he knew that God was still sitting on his throne. That no matter how bad his life got, 
no matter how discouraged or upset he was, he knew that nothing was going to knock God off of his throne. That no one is more powerful or more mighty than God. So no matter what was going on in David's life, he could say, God, I know that you are reigning and ruling. I know that you are still on your throne. We should never doubt that either. David maintained his trust in the sovereign Lord. No matter how bleak things got, he would keep saying, the Lord is in control. The Lord is the one who reigns. The Lord knows exactly what he is doing. And look, once again, David's actions, it showed that he really believed this. This wasn't just lip service. This wasn't just recalling you know, head knowledge, scripture. He, it made a difference. In 2 Samuel 16, when, when Shimei is cursing him, right, when he's saying, your God's not going to help you, you're, you're going to die, whatever, he's saying all that stuff. Abishai, one of David's mighty men, he says to David, hey, let me go over there and take off his head. He's like, I'm going to go kill him for you because of what he's doing. And here's what David says. He says, leave him alone and let him curse. Why? For the Lord has told him to. He doesn't at any point try and take matters into his own hands. He, he could have been like, yeah, go ahead and do it. Like, go kill the guy. He's speaking out against the king. He deserves it. Go, go do it. He didn't do that. He said, no, 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 leave him alone. Because God, God told him to do that. Even in that situation, he's acknowledging God is still in control. And he's trusting God is still on his throne. And as Christians, it's, it's one of the basic truths that we confess that God is sovereign, right? Then why is it that so often we can act like it's not true? Why is it that so often we behave like God has lost control, that, that all hope has, is gone, and that we just have to start grasping at straws and trying to fix our own life because God doesn't know what he's doing anymore. God is sovereign. He is in control. He is always ruling and reigning on his throne. We should trust him. His word clearly says that he will always be on his throne. Verses 5 and 6, David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Think about this. While David was fleeing from Absalom and from a thousand plus people who wanted to kill him, David was able to sleep. He was able to hide away in a cave, not in his big comfy bed in his kingdom, in a cave, and he's able to sleep. Like 2 Samuel 17, it says that there were 12,000 people who were preparing to pursue David. 12,000 people. And he knew this. He knew of this. He knew of the reports. And he was able to sleep. He was able to lay down and close his eyes and go to sleep. How? How could he do that? How was he not freaking out? How was he not losing his mind? I mean, sometimes 
the smallest things will keep me up at night. Like the smallest, most insignificant things. Like I lose sleep and the next day I'm like, that was so dumb. Why did I lose sleep over that? Like, oh, the bill is, I got to pay this bill. I don't, I don't want to pay this bill, but I have to pay. It's coming and I lose sleep, right? Or, oh man, like I've got a lot of work to do this week. I've got a lot of work to do. How am I going to get it done? I'm just thinking about all the work I have to do. And then it's like, you lose sleep over that. That's silly. But David, he could sleep peacefully at night when 12,000 people were after him to kill him because he knew and he understood that it was the Lord who sustained him. He, he knew that and he, he had confidence that it was all in God's hands. It was all because of God. So the Lord is a shield for his children. He lifts their head and he sustains them. And look, I want you to notice specifically the details of how God sustained and protected David in the situation. So while, while David was sleeping, right, he's asleep. And again, he can go to sleep because he's confident that God sustains him. He's not worried about his enemies. He's not worried about what, what he's afraid of. He's not, he's not afraid of anything. He's not worried about anything because he understands that God sustains him. So while he was sleeping, God was actively guarding his life, right? So there's this person named Ahithophel, and this person gave counsel to Absalom and said, you need, you need to gather these 12,000 troops. You need to get out of here. You need to go right now. You need to find David. You need to kill him. You need to do this right now. And for some reason, Absalom wanted to hear the advice of another guy named Hushai before he decided what to do. So here's this advice, and the guy's like, you got to go right now if you want to catch him, get out. Like, he, he's within your grave, like, go get him. Victory will be yours if you go. And he's like, I'm going to check with this guy. What does he have to say? And Hushai convinced Absalom to wait a little bit longer. Just wait a little bit longer and then go. And he listened to Hushai, and David was able to get away. You can see the details, the background of the story that this is all happening while David's asleep. That God is actively protecting him. And he can sleep peacefully at night knowing, look, he's going to protect me. King David understood this concept. He understood that God sustains and nothing else sustains. So when all was taken away, when his kingdom was lost, when his army was gone, when he had no food, when he was living in caves outside of Jerusalem, he could still sleep peacefully because he was comforted by God's sustaining hand. And, and he knew that the only reason he woke up the next morning with breath in his lungs is because God gave it to him. Because God granted him a new day and put breath in his lungs. So what if, what if everything was taken from you? What if you woke up tomorrow and everything was gone? Everything was taken. Your wealth, your possessions, your job, your health. Would you still be able to sleep at night? Or would you be overcome with fear? King David, he's able to sleep. He's not afraid because he was comforted by God and his sustaining hand. We can see in, the, uh, in the, last, the last verses in the psalm that David could face his fears and he could face his troubles. 
because of God's presence, because of his sustaining hand, but also because he was confident in God's salvation. There's point three. I want you to have confidence in God's salvation. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. And it's a similar cry to that of Moses in Numbers chapter 10, verse 23, which again, David probably had the scripture in mind where he says, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. So this cry to God, David's crying out to God, it's rooted in the faithfulness of God that David had already seen, that David had heard of, that he had read about in Scripture. You strike my enemies on the cheek, you you break the teeth of the wicked. It's as if David is saying, God, I trust you because I have seen you rescue me time and time again. Knowing what God had done gave confidence, it gave him confidence in what he would do. He had seen the faithfulness in the past. He had seen God's faithful, sustaining hand all through his life. He knew of the history of Israel and God's faithful hand, and it gave him confidence to face the things that were coming in the future. So his struggles come. As, as you begin to worry, as you begin to be afraid, you need to be quick to bring to mind, to recount how you have seen God's faithfulness in your own life. Every single one of you has seen God's faithfulness on display in your life somehow. You just need to recall, you just need to remember and praise God and thank Him and reflect on His faithfulness towards you. We've got, to be, we've got to stop being so quick to just throw our hands up and say, all hope is lost. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it now. I don't, I don't understand. Well, how many times have you said that, but God saw you through because of his faithfulness towards you? And the psalm ends in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So salvation in, in the immediate and the ultimate sense, it belongs to God. But here's here's the thing. David knew that Absalom might catch him. It it wasn't that David was just asleep because he was completely confident that he was never going to be caught. Right? It's not not this, this health and wealth thing. It's not like he was thinking, oh, well, I'm his child and no one can ever touch me. He he understood, he knew that Absalom at any minute could show up at that cave and take him out. But it was his confidence in God's salvation that even if Absalom came and took his life, the promises of God will remain true. The promise that God gives you that after this, you'll be with him. It's always true. And David knew that. And it gave him confidence to face what was happening. It was comforting to him. So he knew that he had salvation in the immediate, he, that God could save him right now, but he also trusted that even if he didn't, he was safe for eternity. And then as a godly king, he, he prays not just for himself, but for all the people of God, that your blessing be on your people. So look, I have to say that 
if you are looking for salvation anywhere other than God, anywhere other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not find it. Salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to earn it. doesn't matter. Salvation belongs to the Lord, so you need to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. You need to do that today. So look, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what each and every one of you are facing in life right now. But I'm sure that many of you are afraid, that you're anxious, that you're upset about something, that something is going on, that you're uncertain about things, whatever it may be, but I want you to know that God is your shield. He is the shield that covers you, the shield about you. He is the lifter of your head. He is your sustainer. And salvation belongs to Him alone. So I don't want you to be consumed by fear. I don't want any of you to be consumed by the unknown and being afraid and being anxious or anything. God's Word actually commands you to not be afraid. And we could go on and on. There's so many more passages of Scripture that that show that you should not be afraid. But now, as a Christian, what you have to do is you have to take this and you have to go, okay, it needs to make a difference in my life. Do I actually trust God? Do I actually trust Him in my trouble? Do I actually trust Him when I'm afraid? Am I actually casting my anxieties onto Him? It's my prayer that these truths of Scripture will be making an actual difference in your life. That by meditating on these scriptures, that it would, it would cause you to not be afraid. That you would have confidence in the Lord. That you can lay your head down at night and you can sleep. Because you know that it is God who sustains you. So if you're afraid, pray through the psalm. Find other psalms like this and pray through them. And again, if you, if you feel alone, if you, if you feel, if your feelings are just feel too real. You just, have to, you just have to understand God's word is the truth. In every situation you find yourself in, God's word is the truth. Your feelings will deceive, but God's word never does. You need to find your comfort in God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are our shield. God, you are the shield about your children. You cover us. You protect us. God, we know that nothing and no one can touch us unless you give approval first. God, please help us to not fear. God, help us to Help us to keep in mind this psalm and and so many other scriptures that talk about the fact that we should not fear and help it to make a difference in our lives. Help us to face the troubles that this life brings with confidence, confidence that you are there, that you never left us, that you never forsake us, that you are sustaining, that you are in control. 
But please help us to always remember these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.